2: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art's presentation of When Modern Was Contemporary, selections from the Roy R. Neuberger Collection, from Georgia O'Keeffe to Jackson Pollock. Details at msmuseumart.org.
0: Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, only two health insurance companies are left on the Federal Health Insurance Exchange in Mississippi. We'll talk with the insurance commissioner.
2: It's a double-edged sword for the department and for me specifically as commissioner of insurance because we are not compensated by the federal government to go out and recruit companies to write on the exchange.
0: Then, as floodwaters recede in the state, do the chances of disease rise? We'll take a look. Later, bibliophiles unite at the Mississippi Book Festival and entertaining and eating Southern style in our book club. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It looks like only two insurers will be providing health insurance coverage through the Federal Exchange in Mississippi next year. Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney says companies have until next Tuesday to be approved to write policies in the state. United Healthcare will stop providing insurance through the federal exchange December 31st, but coverage will still be available in every county. Cheney tells MPB's Desiree Frazier, a company he can't name, applied to be on the exchange in the state, but he doesn't think it will be approved by the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services.
2: We do not have a carry at this uh, point in time to replace Healthcare in all 82 counties. But we do have a carrier in every county in the state, all, all 82. And actually, we have two carriers in 16 of the counties, and that would include Humana and Magnolia. So we do have all of the state covered. We did have a company that had applied to write in all 82 counties, and they have not been able to get approval from CSIO, which is part of the CMS Group, which is part of HHS Health, Human Services, Federal Government, CMS, is the Center for Medicaid and uh, Medicare um, Systems, and CSIO is the Center for Insurance Information Oversight Committee. So we report to all of them, and when they give us approval, then we will know whether or not that carrier is approved or right in all 82 counties. At this point, though, I would just say that I do not think they will get approval.
3: The company that is in all counties, which one is that?
2: Well, at the present time, United Healthcare is in all counties, but they will cease writing in Mississippi beginning on January 1, 2017. In other words, every policy that they have out written through the Affordable Care Act will be canceled at midnight on December the 31st of 2016. Now, that does not mean that the policies that uh, United Healthcare writes for. People that are in AARP, for an example, they will not be counseled. AARP policies will continue to be enforced as well policies that are written by United Healthcare, that are not only federal exchange.
3: Humana and Magnolia, are they in all the counties?
2: The, uh, Magnolia is in uh, all of the 42 counties and Humana's in 36 counties, and then we have that's uh, the number should add up to 82. I just did not quit in my mind with math, I think it's 46 and 36. But we have dual coverage in 16 counties by Humana and Magnolia.
3: So there's some overlap
2: there. There's some overlap there. But on the Gulf Coast, and we have maps that um, we can send out our, on our webpage at www.mid.ms.gov. That the consumers can look at. But in the Gulf Coast area, we have only one carrier along the Gulf Coast in each of the counties. And the counties where we have two carriers are basically within the metro area and in the northern part of Mississippi and across a band that would include areas like Forest and Lamar County.
3: Are you involved in looking for insurers? Who handles that?
2: Well, normally the federal government does, but it falls to, uh, to the Commissioner of Insurance or whoever regulates the health insurance within the various states to try to recruit people to write on the on the exchange, and it's a um, double-edged sword for the department and for me specifically as commissioner of insurance because we are not compensated by the federal government to go out and recruit companies to write on the exchange, and then you have people who are for uh, who just do not like the exchange and do not like Obamacare, and they think that you're committing some type of fraud for the government if you go out and help them. But part of our part of our job by statutory law is to take care of consumers, one, and we have to enforce the law, whether I like it or not. It's, it's a requirement of my statutory duty and the Constitution that I will uphold the laws of Mississippi and the United States of America. So that's why we do what we do.
0: MPB's Desiree Fraser with Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney. Up next, as floodwaters recede in the state, do the chances of disease rise? We'll take a look. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: The conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. We don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we will be here to help you understand it. Listen every day.
0: Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think
4: Radio. MPB is getting its very own car tag, but first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As Mississippians recover from recent flooding, concerns about possible health risks are increasing. According to the Centers for Disease Control, floodwaters and their remnants can be havens for waterborne diseases such as typhoid fever, cholera and hepatitis. And pests like mosquitoes can also be a problem. The recent spread of Zika in Central and South America and the constant threat of the West Nile virus have some worried flooding will cause an explosion of mosquito-borne illnesses. Mississippi State entomologist Jerome Goddard tells MPB's Paul Boger those particular threats may be overblown.
1: After natural disasters like floods or hurricanes, mosquito problems can become quite intense, but there's not much of a disease threat associated with them. The type of mosquitoes that breed in floodwaters from storms or heavy rains or whatever like that are not usually involved in disease transmission, so it's usually a direct effect problem like biting, you know, nuisance, things like that instead of the disease transmission threat. You know, what are some things that people may may need to look out for? Well, I think one of the big problems with uh, mosquitoes coming from uh, floodwaters is that these mosquitoes uh, hatch off in a, a week or 10 days after a flood and they're very big mosquitoes and they're aggressive biters. So they certainly do impact people's at least their um, state of mind, because they're there's a great nuisance. So there's not a lot people can do about them other than avoid them or protect themselves from them as much as they can. If it's just a flooding event and not a wind event, then they can maybe go inside a shelter or a home or somewhere and get away from them and avoid them. But the problem with a hurricane is, like the windows are blown out and the roofs are damaged that, and the other, so the people are exposed to this nuisance biting. <laughs> flood conditions like this, or you know, storm conditions, natural disasters, does that lead to a greater number of mosquitoes? Definitely, after a flood, a hurricane, or other disaster in that vein, there are more mosquitoes after those events. After about two weeks, there are often tremendous mosquito numbers. From these floodwater mosquitoes, as these floodwaters start to subside, there are lots of pools of water here, there, and the other that breed these floodwater mosquitoes, and there can be millions and millions of them, and they are a significant biting nuisance. But it's not something that people necessarily need to worry about their health. Well, (laughs) Yes and no, Uh, certainly mosquito biting can be a problem other than disease transmission. If people scratch the bites, they can become secondarily infected. So there's secondary infection from mosquito biting. Some people have allergic type reactions from the biting. And then there's always this nuisance effect. You know, if, if you're being bitten 300 bites a minute when you're outside, It affects your health. If if nothing else, it affects your mental health. And you can't work or do whatever you're trying to do outside. So it can be a real problem. But most studies have shown that these floodwater events do not lead to disease, increases in mosquito-borne diseases. Most data does not confirm that or show that. So it's primarily a nuisance-biting event.
0: MPB's Paul Boger with entomologist Jerome Goddard. Up next, bibliophiles unite at the Mississippi Book Festival. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: Well, the conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated. With less than three months to Election Day, we don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but whatever it is, we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day.
0: Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio.
4: I'm Jeremy Hobson. As floodwaters recede in Louisiana, recovery efforts are underway. Thousands are returning to their homes to find extensive flood damage.
3: Basically, the Amy River was
2: running right through here. I mean, they call this neighborhood River Run. It was definitely River Run. You
4: couldn't really walk out there. It would sweep you off your feet. The latest on Louisiana's devastating floods. That's next
0: time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB. It's time once again for the state's literary lawn party. The second Mississippi Book Festival is this Saturday at the state capitol in Jackson. Lovers of fiction, history, children's books and more are invited to sit in on panel discussions, meet famous authors and indulge in literature. We spoke with Holly Lang, executive director of the Mississippi Book Festival. She tells us last year's festival, the first, was bigger than anyone dreamed it would be.
3: My word for last year was magical. It was such a great day for the whole state and for everyone to celebrate.
0: It was the premiere book festival for Mississippi. It was. Did it surpass uh, your expectations in terms of attendance?
3: Yes. We, I said to someone the other day, we had no idea. We didn't send out invitations with reply cards. We had absolutely no way to gauge how many people would come. In my mind, I hoped 2,500 people would come. And we were very fortunate that C-SPAN Book Channel came to air live from the Capitol, and they go to book festivals weekly all across the United States. And they, along with a few other people and some monitors we had in place, we gauged over 3,700 people were there. That's pretty good. That's a good size Because it was a
0: really hot day. I was there. It It was was a hot day. It
3: was hot. And, you know, I, I told... Lieutenant Governor Reeves, when we talked about this, I said, you know, when do you get 3,700 people at the Capitol who really want to be there? and They're in a good mood and they're glad to see everyone. I remember
0: going inside the Capitol and sitting down for a few minutes just to get out of the
3: heat. And you can do that. And it's wide open. I mean, I think people think, oh, my God, it's so hot. But everything's inside. I mean, the exhibitors are outside and there are food trucks outside. But the panels are held in seats with air conditioning. There was a
0: very, uh, a real celebratory sense all around. Outside, there was a lot of inside, yeah. And there were also, it was standing room only and people trying to get into rooms to be part of seminars. And there was a, there were some troubles with that in terms of everybody getting in where they wanted to.
3: We, there were and and we're going to have that again. I, I think that we are never, ever, ever going to fill the hunger that people have <laughs> for this. I, I just, I think Always
0: leave them wanting more.
3: And Well, and I wish, I feel mean and, you know, horrible about it because I think they think we have planned well, we had no idea last year that we would have lines. We are going to have that problem again this year. And Galloway has been great to open up their doors all day long to us so we can accommodate an oversized crowd in their sanctuary. But inside the Capitol, we are truly limited by the walls. Um, and we're just going to do the best we can.
0: Tell us about, well, tell us some of the highlights that we can expect this year.
3: Well, hot on Everyone's mind, of course, um, is the presidential election. And we are not going to talk about the presidential election per se, but we do have John Meacham and Stuart Stevens and Trent Lott coming to talk about their books they've written about presidents and their take on the presidential election. And I think people are very interested in that panel and what they have to say. Um, and Richard Ford will be here. We invited a few others who just couldn't clear their schedules, and that's okay. We're also celebrating the 75th birthday of Curious George.
0: All right. um, so
3: there's going to be a huge birthday party for Curious Curious George, outside under a big tent with fans, and we're going to give away popsicles. We figure, what are, you, what are you going to give to kids? Well, it's going to be hot, so we're going to give them some popsicles so they can cool off. I think 75th anniversary of Curious George is something that my parents knew about, I celebrated, and my children celebrate. That is a generational book and a, a character that we all love, and so we've brought Curious George to the festival this year.
0: Books are for sale. I know that authors take turns being outside at tables where they'll sign your book, they'll sell you a book, and there are stores represented, independent booksellers who will have books for sale.
3: So here's how it flows. We have official panelists who participate inside and talk about their books, and they have coordinated, those authors coordinate with Lemuria and Nautilus Publishing and whoever else carries their book. And those booksellers will be on the street and they will be selling their books. And you can, of course, bring your book. If you have a copy of, (laughs) you know, Julia Reed's new book and you want her to sign it, that's fine, too. We will have a large author signing tent on the property, on the lawn of the Capitol. So you'll get in a line and we'll have all the authors lined up. And you will just go through the line and get your signature. This is not a meet and greet. You don't spend 30 minutes with them or anything like that. It is simply, hi, how are you? It's nice to meet you. Here's my book. And we will have a separate signing schedule available that day and on our website so people can know when their author will be there to get their signature, which is different from when they'll be inside on a panel. Also on the street, we have over 60 authors and artists who will be selling their books independently under a big tent, too. And that was very popular last year. Mm
0: Tell us some of the other uh, writers, authors who will be there hosting a seminar perhaps or leading a talk.
3: Well, you can't have a book festival about the state of Mississippi and not talk about food. So we have um, Robert St. John and Sarah Foster along with Julie Reed coming to talk about not only food and recipes, but Julie's going to talk about tamales. She loves to talk about tamales. (laughs) And we have comics and cartoons. Historical fiction was very popular last year, and so that's one we're bringing back. Tom Piazza will be here with Katie Simpson-Smith, Taylor Brown, and Ariel LeHon. Southern Fiction Today, which I think if you go to our website and read about it's a fascinating. It's a it's sort of a broad topic for Southern writers, um, and we will do our best to accommodate to get everybody a seat in the room they want to go. But we know we're not going to make
0: it. Well, and after everything you just told us and all of the events, let me remind our listeners: this is on one day. This is August twentieth, and only on August twentieth. So day. you'll want to go online not only to familiarize yourself, but figure out your plan,
3: where we, you're going to go and
0: when you're going to be there. And we
3: have a we'll have a site map available for that day and an easy-to-read guide to help you get where you need to be, but you really do need to make a plan before you show up. And we have tons of parking downtown. Wonderful. That's a good thing.
0: Holly Lang is executive director of the Mississippi Book Festival, which is on August 20th, again, at the Mississippi Capitol and the grounds surrounding the Capitol. Thank you so much. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate it. You just heard that Julia Reed's going to be at the Book Festival. Well, up next, we talk to her about entertaining and eating Southern style in our book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Philosopher Travis Reeder thinks we can avoid climate catastrophe by cutting the global birth rate soon. He wants countries like the U.S. to impose a carbon tax on kids.
4: We as parents, we as family members, we get the good, and the world, the community, pays the cost.
3: A moral case for population control. Later on, All Things Considered from NPR News.
0: Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio.
3: The conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. You don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day.
0: Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Julia Reed has written about politics and political culture and about the finer things in life as well. The Greenville native has been an ambassador for the Southern way of life since she moved north to work in magazines and publishing. In her new book, Julia Reed South, Spirited, Entertaining, and High Style Fun All Year Long, Reed shares some of the tips and tricks she has learned over the years for throwing a spirited get-together. She tells us one particular New York City party put her in a position to champion In the Southern way of entertaining.
4: I I guess I moved to New York in my late 20s, and I was in my mid-30s, and I was working at Vogue then, and I had a colleague, Michael Boudreaux, who's now the editor-in-chief of Elle, and he's one of my dearest friends, and he was leaving the magazine, he was leaving Vogue, and I had a, a, a goodbye party for him, and it wasn't my usual guest list. I mean, I didn't really know the people, his, his pals on the guest list. So all these people that I didn't really know were in my apartment and I served what I always served which was ham biscuits. I was famous for carrying up frozen Marshall's biscuits in paper bags from home. But the guests were used to eating like some old thin slivers of deli roast beef on a hard roll at a party. Well, I mean, I'm having some sliced tenderloin on a yeast roll and I'm having some good ham on a, what looks like a homemade buttermilk biscuit and I've got pimento cheese sandwiches and deviled eggs and big bowls of crab meat maison like they serve at Galatoire's, which is basically just crab meat and homemade mayonnaise on toast points and just on and on and on, the kind of stuff that my mother always served at what she called a cocktail supper. So I had all this food that nobody had ever seen. And it was like, I don't think anybody in the room had literally ever seen a deviled egg. They were chasing the trays around. They were staring into the crab meat like it was like the seventh wonder of the world or something. (laughs) It was just hilarious to watch, you know, because this was my kind of standard menu for parties like this. And it was a time, keep in mind, in New York, it was still sort of the late 80s, early 90s when people were serving things like undercooked snow peas with some kind of beige fish paste piped in the middle of it or, (laughs) you know. Anyway, they were, they were much impressed by this what most people listening to you on the radio or me on the radio could serve tomorrow night. If, if somebody dropped by just without thinking about it, the next morning, I promise you, I'm not exaggerating. I was lying in the bed recovering from this party and phone rang and an editor for the New York times magazine had been there. And he said, uh, have you ever written about food? And I said, no, I'd written about pretty much everything in my career, politics, business, fashion, and so he asked me, he said, you know, our food our food columnist just left, will you, can you, you know, would you consider it? So I said, sure. So I wrote the food column in the Times Magazine for the next three and a half years. And that's kind of how this started, literally because I had a party and had some double eggs, basically.
0: Have you ever um, had a, a dinner party that bombed? It depends on the definition, I guess you got to say. Why not well, a party. you were glad when somebody? it was over. You were really glad um, when it was over.
4: I'm sure I have, but like when some things that most people would think were bombs, I've always gotten a kick out of. Like I had one party one time where a fairly conservative friend of a friend of mine, he was my friend's guest, got in a huge fight with a more sort of enlightened, shall we say, arts activist. And they got in such a fight that she started beating him over the head with some bread. To me, that was sort of a huge success, and everybody ended up as friends. But that's the other thing. you know, You can have a debate... And if you're drinking wine around the table and literally breaking bread, not maybe over somebody's <laughs> head, but like, but uh, you know, it keeps things civilized up to a point. And, you know, and obviously that was the bread was half ingest.
0: But I, I do think that that is important. What do people who haven't entertained much, who are nervous about it, what are they most concerned about?
4: Oh, God, I think people are jittery about everything. Obviously, how their house looks, how they're going to put together food that tastes good. I mean, most people tend to worry too much about impressing. Keep in mind that these people were blown away by a deviled egg, pimento cheese, that lowliest of food a lot of people call southern pate. I think that when people worry about impressing or getting too fussy, they get all nervous and then it all falls apart. I remember when I was such a nervous person like that when I was giving the parties that I was describing to you very early on, like my first few dinner parties, and I'm trying to impress my much more accomplished colleagues, that was just when, like, Newville Cuisine had just been invented. And ironically, I'd saved all these New York Times magazine recipes with all these sort of elaborate things and or, you know, modern and complicated whatever. And i call my mother on the phone, and I'm just driving her crazy, going through these stacks of recipes. And finally, she just got so exasperated. She says, you know what? Why don't you make something that tastes good?
0: Julia Reed's latest book is Julia Reed's South, spirited, entertaining, and high style fun all year long. Julia, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Karen. It's a pleasure. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up this morning, it's Creature Comforts, MPB Season Pass, and Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show, there are several ways you can listen. On our website, mpbonline.org, through the MPB Multimedia app, or search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. You can subscribe to the show right there. It's easy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
2: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art's presentation of When Modern Was Contemporary, selections from the Roy R. Newberger Collection, from Georgia O'Keeffe to Jackson Pollock. Details at msmuseumart.org.
1: It's Marketplace Tech for Thursday the 18th. I'm Ben Johnson in New York.